We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Another baseball-centric show for you today. Colin Brister hops back on to talk of Ole Miss's two midweek wins over ULM, previewing the trip to Orlando to play UCF this weekend, what we might see from the rotation, where Hunter Elliott and Jack Washburn fit in long-term in an offense that continues to uh, really just obliterate mediocre pitching. So a lot of different stuff as we continue to learn more about this team and um, and how it might shake out, particularly with the bottom two lineup spots. So good baseball discussion today, and then we'll get to Mailbag Friday tomorrow. If you have mailbag questions, go ahead and send them in before you forget uh, email, Twitter, however you wish to send in questions for the People's Holiday. Send that in, and I'll record that uh, Thursday evening and get that out Friday. Morning is a little change of pace because I feel like we've been just all baseball all the time over here. But, um, hey, when the hoops team sucks and we're not quite to March Madness yet um, in terms of the NCAA tournament, that's uh, kind of kind of all we got for the time being. So, anyway, it's a great show, great conversation. Um, so, buckle up. But before we get I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox had a 4.9 unit weekend or unit Sunday to cap off a huge week of college hoops. March is right around the corner. Some of you might be listening to this in the month of March. You want to sign up for Skybox right now. They're going to consistently lead you to profit more consistently than anyone else, particularly during March Madness because they own March Madness just like everything else. They've also got the NASCAR package up on the site right now. It is free for another week or so, I believe. Then they're going to put that behind the paywall. Be sure to check that out. If you buy it, use the promo code NASCAR for 30% off. All other purchases, use the promo code RIPPY and you get 20% off. Use that promo code to let them know we sent you. But they're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether it's month-long, season-long. If you just want to try it for March Madness, do it for a month. Or you can do it for you know a day or a week at any point in March Madness. But I'd recommend Rocco with Skybox all year long because all they do is put money in your pocket. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. You know the drill at this point. LB's is the best place in Mississippi to get meat and in the world for that matter. Oxford is so lucky to have it. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, that's rippyrides.substack.com. 
You get type in your email, you get a free newsletter from me, me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just go show Greg proof of subscription and he'll get you set up and then go find your own favorites, whether that's all the different cuts he's got going on over there, some crab stuff, mushrooms, delicious sausages, fresh seafood. You need to check them out. I always love the filet burgers. Go find your own favorites at LB's. Soon to be in the central Mississippi area as Greg is opening a Gluckstadt location. So how about that? The Jackson Metro will have a, uh, LB's as well, so you can enjoy it too. Weather's about to get warmer. Grilling season's right around the corner. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Go buy LB's. You won't regret it. It will make your grilling experience much better. Check him out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Rides baseball correspondent Colin Brister checking back in in the midweek after uh, shortly after Ole Miss just 10 run ruled ULM in a game that I think was like two to one in the six and Ole Miss still, <laughs> still does not make it to nine innings. No, it was not two to one in the six. Excuse me. It was two to one in the fifth. Ole Miss puts up a six spot in the uh, fifth. All uh, All came with two outs. And then another four spot in the six. Then all of a sudden they just don't play uh, nine innings. But as weird as it sounds, after a ten-two and eleven-one midweek win, I think we actually learned a decent, uh, decent bit about this team. We'll get into some of that. What's up? Not much. Not much. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like at baseball practice, and I looked at the score, and I'm like, it's two to one in the fifth. Like, could someone score a run? And uh, I don't know. Ole Miss apparently heard me and decided that they would in fact score some runs. Because uh, I looked back and it almost was up seven to one, and then I think it finished eleven to one after Elko's grand slam. So yeah, uh, turns out this offense not going anywhere right now. Yeah, I mean eight of them came on two swings, and I think like if you're trying to contrast this offense compared to what we saw the first couple of uh, weekends to this point, they actually struggled for I say struggled. That's a weird way to term it, but <laughs> you know they didn't score for three innings today in the TV to the TV broadcast was like, well, that's actually the longest they've been held scoreless all season. Like, they call it struggling, you know, struggling air quotations. You can take it with the grain of salt. But, like, their version of struggling, they were held down for a little bit in, I say, parts of each game. I mean, Ole Miss scored in seven of the eight frames they came to the plate on Tuesday night. But it was, you know, three to nothing after three – or three to one after three innings and five to one after four and Ole Miss wasn't just completely blowing the doors off them on Tuesday night and then just kind of slowly exploded. Today, I think, like these last two games, I think what you kind of saw was ULM had some moments on the mound. I don't think their pitching staff is great by any means. I mean, hell, they gave up 19 walks. And Ole Miss scuffled for, like, small parts, but then all of a sudden you look up and it's like 10 to 2. Oh, how did it become 11 to 1? It's it's like it's it's like you got punched. If you're the opponent, you kind of got punched in the face before you know what happened to you. I felt bad for the kid today. Uh, Madison guy, Blaylock, uh, for ULM, I don't know his name. We don't really need to know his name. He comes in in a two-to-one game, and you know he, he, he has to face – the bases are loaded. And he has to face Elko, Graham, Bench, and McCants. That was his first four hitters. And he walks Elko oh. to make it three-to-one. You know, Kevin Graham hits one oppo over the fence, and all of a sudden, like, the floodgates are open. And, like – you, you almost can't blame the guy. Like, he walked Elko on five pitches, and I didn't think it was the most competitive at bat from a pitcher standpoint ever, but it also wasn't completely, like, I don't want to – like, toothless. But, like, what do you – like, if I was that kid, I would feel so helpless. Like, what are you going to do? So, 
This is this. I think this is the perfect encapsulation of Ole Miss's offense. Last night uh, they were up, I think, six to two in the top of the seventh. And it's like, oh, Ole Miss is gonna have to use some arms. So they put like Jack Doherty in the game, and he gets them out of the seventh. And then you look up, and the game finishes eleven to two, and you didn't have. They actually did extend Doherty, but like you didn't have to. Like you know, it goes from oh, this game's competitive to like oh, they're dead. In about a matter of a half inning, it, it's funny how like quickly games because they don't just put up one run like they ambush you and 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 pretty much for all intents and purposes in games. Yes, they they do, and like I think today was the best example of that because you know correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you watched a, like most of the first two series beyond like you being like having to work. It was it was hard to, harder to get a gauge against Charleston and VCU because their pitching wasn't terrible. And as I kind of hit on at the top there, like, look, don't get me wrong, ULM is not going to be to the level of pitching that Ole Miss faces in the SEC weekend and week out. Even this week, I didn't think they were completely terrible. Right, that first Tuesday starter hit ninety a couple of times. I'm like, this kid has a little something to them, and they were right. just completely helpless. Like I think the 19 walks were more of a product of them to be honest, just being completely scared lifeless of throwing baseballs over the plate. No, Federico at uh, ULM does a good job. He used to be at Southern Miss. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, look, Ole Miss walks a lot. That's just part of their offensive philosophy. And, uh, you know, you're probably right in that ULM didn't just, you know, they didn't, they didn't go up there and try to walk people. Ole Miss made them learn it. It's so hard because if you don't have over overpowering stuff with this offense, like, and maybe this sounds stupid, what I'm about to say, but if you can't strike this offense out, good luck. Because when they hit it, they hit the crap out of it. Um, so it's kind of hard on, on on guys like ULM that maybe those are good pitchers against most teams that they play. But if you don't have, like, elite strikeout stuff, no, nah, man, like, you're, you're going to get your feelings hurt against this offense right now. I think that's a. I think you encapsulated that well. If you're like, if you're doing the debate or kind of thinking it through in your head of, hey, how real is this? Ole Miss in these last two games struck out a total of six times, and I think, well, two of them I know belong to McCants because I watched them do it today, and then they were scattered throughout. Now Van Cleve is another one on the other game. It doesn't really matter. The point is they struck out six times over these two games, and kind of underscoring your point about if you don't have overpowering stuff and can't generate swings and misses, like this team, when they do hit it, they hit the baseball hard. And so that's going – like if you're trying to figure out how real this is, I will be curious to see in the first two weekends of SEC play. And, you know, it's Tennessee and Auburn. Like I don't think Auburn will be great, but they have a couple arms that I think are, uh, I would say, worthy adversaries. And then Tennessee's a good baseball team. I will be curious to see what the upticks are in strikeout and kind of swing and miss numbers, which swing and miss would be harder to gauge beyond an eye test to see that. Because if, if there's not a huge uptick in that, they, they may just assault everybody. And, look, there could be a drop-off and there's an adjustment period yeah. when you get to SEC pitching. But, like, I, I think you put it well. Like, if they don't strike out a ton – they don't swing at bad pitches. That I mean, look at the amount of walks they've had versus strikeouts this year. I think what well, we were at 31 and 32, 31 walks, 32 strikeouts after Sunday. Well, let me tell you, buddy, that ratio went up because they just had a 19 to six in favor of walks. <laughs> so like with the point, uh, Chase made this point on his podcast after the Tuesday game with Neil, they don't like, they didn't force the issue. They didn't press facing an inferior pitching staff trying to, you know, hit the ball over the fence or generate a five spot early on in coast. 
they just don't swing at bad pitches. And I think that's a, you know, another, I guess, feather in their cap in terms of encapsulating and looking at them as a complete offense. And what's funny about and, and what really works for Ole Miss's favor is for all the, the Bianco criticism and, and if there's any criticism of Clement, which I don't really know how you can um, have any, it's, it's never that, you know, Ole Miss can't handle velocity. What the criticism is is, you know, they struggle against, what, the lefty junk baller, the, the guy, he, the righty with sink or whatever. Well, it's kind of to the point where, like I said, if you can't strike these guys out, then good luck. Well, Ole Miss has never been a team that struggles with velocity. If you remember, like, Casey Mize came to Oxford throwing 95 to 96 that night and got his feelings hurt. Um, so, I say that, you know, you got to strike this team out. And look, there will be a night where Ole Miss strikes out 14 or 15 times because they're going to face a guy they're going to play in a, in a really good league, and there's going to be arms that can do it. But on a consistent basis, I mean, when a team doesn't, and as a program, when they don't struggle with velocity, and the key to getting them to have an unsuccessful offensive night is striking them out. I don't really know what the formula that you, you come up with. It's like you can try to throw at 96 miles an hour by but that's probably not going to work because, like I said, it's not a program that usually has issues with velo. Yeah, and it's going – like I keep saying, like I can't – if there's – it's weird. Like I keep – thinking like every time we do one of these shows or just like watching during the midweek in general when you know the score's 10 to 1 I'm like damn can conference play just get here because I just want to see it like I would like to see how how elite or how good the offense is and honestly I'd like to see the pitching staff as well because we can get to that in a second but like that's going like this weekend I think the first time is they'll be tested as a pitching staff and then they'll really be tested as SEC play comes in but like I just want to see how real it is and maybe that's just the the sheer aspect of them not doing a um, a whatever we called the tournament out here in Arlington last year and having that marquee non-conference series. Um, you know, UCF's not bad. They're 7-1. and one. We can get that in a little bit. But, like, they've largely just beat up on teams that they were supposed to kick the, sh- kick the hell out of. But, like, to their credit, they did it. You know what I mean? They didn't get bogged yeah. down. And, I mean, State beat Grambling 2-1 to one last night. Not to use State as an example for everything. You're saying the State scored a night? Uh, no, what is that? I, I, I honestly, without watching it, I've been driving most of the night. I assumed Southern was going to beat them like a drum. State hadn't scored. It's six to nothing in the sixth. So we <laughs> I might as well get to it now. They can't I, hit. No, they cannot. And I know they always start slow. And look, they're defending national champions. Of the guys left sure. on that roster, when you have a ring like that on your finger, how. <laughs> I know they're try every time. Like, how locked in are you in a crappy weather game against Long Beach State or, you know, who, whoever it was they played last week? In no, but, but you're locked in tonight in Pearl when there's 8,000 folks there. Well, yeah, and then they got they got, they got got four or, what, five hits or four hits off that Northern Kentucky starter last Friday in the game they lost. Yeah. Like, it, that's no, it's an issue. And yeah. I'm not, like, I, I'm not, you know, writing states like death mail. Like, no, they're probably still going to host the regional and be a top 16 seed, but. No, nah, right now they they cannot swing the bat with uh with any with any success. Um, they They're counting the, on a decent amount of kids that haven't done it yet over a full like right. starter thing, you know. Yeah, no, nah, they'll, they'll be fine. But yeah, I mean it's a, uh, and that's what you know, and that's the thing that almost is and was probably going to have to deal with next year. Some is like, man, when you lose uh, most of your lineup, like it's going to take some dudes a minute to figure it out and. So next year when, you know, six-ninths of this – or two-thirds, I guess is a better way to say it. Two-thirds of this lineup leaves. Probably 
Ole Miss fans are probably going to have to be patient next year with this. <laughs> you are not wrong, but is there a single person out there right now that's looking forward to hearing that? <laughs> they, they, they really, Brian, they really need to go to Omaha this year. Yes, that's that's a great way to put it. They really need to go to Omaha. <laughs> we might as well get, we'll just tease this throughout the year. What happens if they go to game three of a super this year and it doesn't work out for them? And we're supposed to sit here on a podcast and say, hey, look, it's year 23, but you're going to have to be I'm, I'm, with this club. <laughs> no, I'm telling you right now, they lose a game three of a super. I'm, I'm not done being like an old Miss fan. I'm done doing like, like getting invested. I'll go root for them. I can't handle another game three loss. Just can't do it. It's just if we're going to lose a super, let's just do it in two this time. Yeah, I mean, you might just – I mean, at that point, we we might not get to do this thing we've done over the last couple of years. I might just be like, hey, pal, I'll call you in June. But, like we'll, – <laughs> we'll, we'll call it a, a hiatus. So, kind of honing it back in a little bit for the last two nights. So, Ole Miss obviously wins 10-2 to 2 on, uh, on a slog of a game on Tuesday night. And I think the story was Hunter Elliott. So, he throws 72 sure. pitches over four innings. He allows two earned runs on three hits. He strikes out nine. I believe the first seven outs he recorded were via the strikeout. And if I'm not – one of the uh, hits he gave up, I think it was a uh, – no, I don't think he gave up any extra bases. I think it was back-to-back singles. One of them was kind of a well-placed deal. And then, you know, they scratch a couple runs across from him. But the swing and miss stuff with him was pretty terrific. And we might as well just get to it now. That kid is a skateboard away from being mistaken for uh-huh. <laughs> unless he has a student ID. I was supposed to say, like uh... – you think do, all right? Do you think they gave him twenty six by accident? Mike isn't like that, so I don't know what goes into that process. But if someone did that halfway intentionally, it was not five. That guy, that, <laughs> that's way too much fun for him. He doesn't have fun. Honestly, he would probably poo poo the idea just based on saying that because one. Yeah, someone had mentioned that he probably is like wearing forty eight. Yeah, exactly. Like, Mike would stick him with, like, 99 or something if someone had, had given him that idea. But, you know, it's – It looks weird. It, it really is kind of eerie, um, I think, is a great way to describe it. Does it not look weird to you? Like, watching him pitch last night where you're like – because the delivery is not the exact same, but it's so, the guy that comes with the left side where it's a little – I don't want to say hitchy, but I'm also not as well-versed in, like, pitching mechanics as you are to where it's slightly – different than your prototypical delivery to where it clearly kind of makes it harder to get to pick up the ball out of his hand. I think Nikhazy had some of that. So, all right, uh, I'll, I'll tell you how weird it is. So, last – yesterday, uh, we, we played a basketball game at like 1.30. We get beat, whatever, and I get on the bus and go home. And I go because my parents have my dog because we stayed overnight. So, I go to pick my dog up. And I walk into my parents' house, and I, I'm completely like this is 7.15 or so. I completely have zoned out. Like, I forgot Ole Miss was playing. My dad has the game on. And I just, like, as I walk in, you know, the center field camera is just on, like, the 26 that's got the long hair that's pitching from the left side. I'm like, are you watching highlights? He's like, no, they're playing you on my run. I was like, oh, I thought that was McKenzie. I swear to God that happened. <laughs> so, it's, hey. it's weird, right? Like, and so, you know what I did at work? Well, it even looks like what he threw. Yes, like so, be so because like the the fastball almost looks like it sweeps in a little bit with the way the arm slot is. You know what I did at work today was I watched Nikhazy in the sixth, fifth, or sixth inning against Florida State. I found a YouTube clip. I don't know who put that up there 
or why. And honestly, I just took 10 minutes and I was like, what is similar about this and what is different? And without getting too nerdy, and I'm hoping you as someone who played baseball and coached baseball could color in the lines for me a little bit. So Nikhazy was kind of a lefty, and when he put it back, his arm would kind of turn into like an inverted V. Like if he's a left-hander, if you're facing the first baseline, it would right. kind of V up a little bit. And it would hide behind as he's turning towards home plate, kind of like his mm -hmm. nipple or his shoulder. But it would be hidden for a second, and then it would come up on you quick. Elliot kind of goes behind the right shoulder, almost behind his back a little bit. But it's the same, like, I wouldn't call it jerky. I'll just leave that floor open to you. But, like, they both have, like, a little, like, slight unconventionality when the ball gets, like, behind them, but in different ways, if that made any sense at all. So, I'll be completely honest. I haven't really looked at the Elliot's mechanics because, like I said, I picked my dog up and, and listened to the game on the radio as I was going back to uh, where I work at. And – so Doug threw across his body a lot, and that I think that might be something they try to change a little bit as he got as he gets older and gets into the organization because he's going to have to throw a ton of innings for a ton of years if he wants to be successful in Major League Baseball. But in college baseball, what it did was this: it really, really hid his fastball. So people never understood, and I didn't at first how his eighty-eight to ninety mile per hour fastball really played up, right? Well, because if you look at it on Rapsodo, his spin rate is not overly high. What happened was, Doug, like you said, you, made it, you, you explained it really well, he throws across his body. You don't pick the ball up until the ball is out of Doug Cage's hand. Doug had really good extension, too. So now you're hitting a fastball that you have not seen at about 54 feet, 53 and a half feet. And what happens is, too, this is what made Doug really, really good. He throws that fastball and he tunnels it really well with that off-speed pitch that breaks straight down. Because I don't know if people you know, know who this. does Ole the Miss, exact same thing as Hunter Elliott. I noticed that last yeah. night with that slider thing he throws. So, and that's a little bit different from what Doug does. Doug threw a slider too, but Doug, like, there's not a whole lot of curveballs in Ole Miss's program, right? Like they try to they try to incorporate a lot of sliders, which you know have your opinion on or whatever. But Doug threw his curveball on the exact same plane that he could throw that high fastball, and it made it almost unhittable because, like I said, it's coming at you from 54 feet, and that's the first time you've been able to track the baseball. So that 88 to 90 really played about 94 to 95. Well, now we've got a 94 to 95-hour fastball from a left-handed pitcher, which means it's dancing all over the damn place. Um so, you know, I, like I said, I haven't seen a ton of Elliott's mechanics, but what made Doug so successful was his ability to compete in the strike zone while throwing across his body and therefore hiding the baseball. Yeah, no, I think you explained that really well. And, I, like, I'll try to, like, as I'm trying to get, like, what I have in my head and, like, what I a couple of things I wrote down last night was, like, it, like out actually in making a coherent sentence, what you were talking about with tunneling it really well, Austin Miller is a pretty decent example yeah. of that, right? A guy that didn't have like overwhelming velocity and this stuff was like, okay, but man, he tunneled his pitches really well. Hunter Elliott's the same way. And I would, I don't know what his strikeout numbers are like swinging versus looking, but just in the brief time that we've seen him this year and the strikeouts that he has had, like how many times have you seen a, whether it's the fastball or the slider, honestly kind of drop over and hit the heart of the plate and the dude just stands there and it's like a no question that was a strike. That has to be something where he's just completely confused on what the pitch was going to be. 
Like I imagine tunneling the pitches would induce a little bit more guessing as well. And to add on that real quick, because I pulled up some Hoagland thing as we're sitting here, because I was trying to figure out a way to like articulate the difference. Hogan was basically your generic over the top delivery because right. his arm talent was incredible and he could just kind of throw it by you. Like it was much different than these two. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Gunner was pinpoint and, you know, Doug had to be a little bit more creative and, and do things differently. Um, yeah, look, and, and I, I want to be careful here because, like I said, the, the when you walk in and you see 26 on the mound and you've got long stringy hair and he throws from the left side, and he's, he's not much taller than Doug either. Um, and it, it just looks weird. I don't want, like, Doug McKenzie, and you can – we can argue this if you want. Doug McKenzie was the best pitcher at all this, like, for my money. I, I, I don't want to compare the, you know, the true freshman from Philadelphia – or, excuse me, um, Tupelo and say, hey, that kid's going to be Doug McKenzie. But, my God, if it doesn't look like him out on the mound. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see how his career is. And, you know, like, we can talk about how, uh, you know, how he looks like Doug or whatever. But, man, he pitched really, really well last night. And that and what get, kind of gets forgotten is he pitched really well last Friday against VCU, too. Yes, he did. And, it, yeah, it's I'm glad you brought that part of it up because, you know, we just spent – 10 minutes being like comparing <laughs> comparing <laughs> their hair and their arm motion and how they tunnel pitches and like great they just dug like clone Doug McKenzie stick the kid in the weekend rotation he'll be fine <laughs> like that's not fair right like the kid the, the odds uh, of the kid becoming and this is not a knock to Elliot or anyone else the odds of that kid becoming Doug McKenzie you're pretty much slim to none because like you said you know you can argue Pomerantz or whoever else through the years if you got it, like if you had to go win one game, like of Ole Miss during the Mike Bianco area, what pitcher are you taking? I think you're taking Doug Casey. I mean, I just I had this pulled up earlier. Doug's game logs from last year. This is absurd. So from April second on, I think this is their third second SEC series. They play Florida. That just his innings log. Six. Okay, so it was actually it was their third because if you remember, he missed the start. He missed the Auburn start last year. That's right. So it's their third one on April second. Six yeah. six. Nine, six, seven, six and two thirds, seven, seven, six, seven, the one point one, but that's in relief against Southern Miss against five and third against Arizona. And that was his best outing. Like, I mean they won all those games except one, by the way. Yeah, we can go strikeouts if you want to. Eleven, seven, twelve, eleven, five, nine, ten, thirteen, seven, sixteen, and ten. Like, so, like, so let's be careful here, right, with, like, the comparisons, and I get it's natural because of everything we just outlined. But, like, say this Elliott thing works out and say, you know, the kid is good enough and Mike wants to put him in the weekend rotation and it becomes a valuable piece. Like, with Doug, it became so automatic to where, like, if Elliott, you know, even though he's a, if he ends up being a good, valuable part of the rotation – if he gives up five runs in five innings at a road start at A&M, people are going to be like, hey, what level was that? I'm like, well, Doug wasn't human. Like, I mean, that was the closest thing to automatic as you've seen in a long time at Ole Miss. And so that's what just make, makes the comparison so impossible, if nothing else. Right. The, uh, the good news for uh, Hunter, if that did happen, is, you know, you give up five runs in innings with this offense and you're still right in the game. That is true, and that could eventually be the difference if this offense holds true. But I think he was kind of the story last night. I thought I was pretty impressed sure, with him. Sure, and honestly, sure. it's these two, and it's the guy that came in after him as well because Raleigh Maddox comes in, and he allows two – he throws two scoreless innings. Well, no, he gave up run. 
Uh, no, according to so – I thought the same thing when I opened up the stat broadcast or whatever this morning. According to that, he did not give up a run. I'm guessing maybe one of those runs Elliot was responsible for. I think he may have inherited it. Oh. Um, okay. Well, actually, I can just look that up as we speak. But, like, so that's a kid. So he threw 29 pitches last night and 22 strikes. And so compared that with his first outing, that kid has now thrown 48 pitches, 39 strikes, and he throws the ball really hard with a breaking ball that he seems to locate pretty well. Like, if you're looking for a bit of a game changer in the bullpen, and we kind of were on this from the time he started opening weekend, not to, like, toot my, our own collective horns a bit. It was fairly obvious. I would just want to see how real it was. Second outing, like, it didn't do anything to deter me. I guess I would put it to you. I put it to you that way. He was, uh, he was quite good, man. And like that's if you're looking for an X factor in the bullpen, because as I keep going back to, if that continues to throw strikes, that kid is going to get people out because 95 with an 82 mile an hour hook will get anyone out. So, I told you when we talked about Riley Maddox the last time, um, I wanted to see what his rap, rap soto numbers were, and I got I got somebody to send them to me. Um, and this does not include last night, so I want, I want to be careful on that. Um, but in his first start, let's see, he averaged um, – I'm sorry, this is bad podcasting. I just had it pulled up and then it went away. That's he a averaged – uh, The last night, Elliot gave up a single to start the fifth and the guy ended up coming out. Uh, okay, and the guy wound up scoring. So he averaged 93.5 miles of velocity and then – he averaged 20 inches of horizontal break on his fastball. That, that's that's absurd. That is, and, and now look, that's 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 over a more distance than 60.6. It's I'm not getting into all that, but it's absurd run on a very very hard hard thrown fastball. Um, so yeah, it uh, he's for real, man. Um. Just quick, and we're going to get to him in a second, I'm sure. Um, Jack Washburn from Rap Soto, uh, high spin rate 22,450 on his fastball in the first outing um, of the year. Uh, it doesn't include his last two outings, I don't believe, but no, it doesn't include it, includes last week. Um, but really high spin rate, think, and I don't, I'm careful to do this because there are people, who are like, oh, you're saying he's gunner, no. Gunner, he's in the spin, same spin rate category as Gunner, where this fastball kind of sneaks up on you. Um, I'm just kind of going through some rap soto things real quick. But no, Maddox, uh, 93.5 with 20 inches of horizontal break. So he throws a real two seamer that gets really good run. And and here's the thing, man, it, it's it's not easy to control a two seamer and put it over the plate and hit spots with it. He's able to do that. He he's really really tough to hit. And for the uh, for the layman out there, the Rap Soto is basically kind of a baseball version of TrackMan. I think they use TrackMan right. in baseball too, but it's just another like spin rate and kind of analytics tracking capabilities for pitchers in baseball. Right. It uh it, it tells you kind of how how much the ball is spinning, how much is breaking, that type of thing, and they're able to track that and upload it to a database um, where people have access to it. Yeah, it's uh he's got real stuff, man. And and he's I would be very very surprised if he is not a high leverage option for Ole Miss come SEC play. I think you're right. And what's it, what's been interesting about both of these um both of these two guys and both of them being true freshmen is 
Look, I get it's easier against Charleston Southern. It's easier against VCUs and the ULMs of the world. But neither one of them have looked uh, – look, I don't want to say scared of the moment because that sounds a little too dramatic. But neither one of them have looked a little wide-eyed about actually pitching in a college game. And now, look, we'll see when there's 10,000 people in the stands against, you know, a Tennessee – or an LSU or something like that. But both of them carry themselves on the mound with confidence, and that might just be a product of the early success they had. But they look put together in a way that's hard to tangibly describe, but like you see the opposite of it with freshmen at times. Sometimes it's even like going well. I don't know why this example comes to mind, but Hunter Roth – or excuse me, Hunter Roth, Houston Roth, Houston. early on in his old Miss career, he wasn't terrible by any means – but he didn't always kind of, even when things were going well-ish, he didn't, like, carry himself with the same confidence. And that came with time, right? That By the time he was a junior, that was completely different. But the way these – I don't know. If you're, like, doing, like, the whole body language doctor thing, it, it they look very much in control. There may be nothing to that. It's just something I've noticed. No, no, that's that's a really good way to put it. It's – uh, you know, is – so I'm trying to think. Um, is this the big class? Was this the, the, the class that they spent a lot of money on? Because, you know, they try to do it in cycles. Where they, every three years they sign the big class. Was this, was this the high money class or is that this year coming in? I think that's a, this year coming in. and I don't That's what I was thinking. So it looks know better like they, than me. So I don't, don't quote me on that. But I, I, I'm fairly confident this year was not it, this past one. That, they, that You're talking about these two guys, their class. Right. I think it is next year. They did a really, really remarkable job of getting freshmen that can, can come in and contribute um, in the class where they don't usually load up in. So, and I know COVID kind of changed some things with that, but you know, and, and I'm not making this up. I mean, like, they try to target like one class where they can spend a lot of money, like Dillard in the class. It's three and, cycles, basically. Right, but COVID kind of messed it up because you had guys stay in that you had to use scholarships on because I just didn't know how they kind of uh, remedied that. No, you're absolutely that. correct. You're, you're dead on with that. They try to do it in okay. cycles, and now they're – seemingly they're a year off, right, because it's that 17 class, and then it would have been – they may be one or two removed. But anyway, you're, you're right on with that, but the way they kind of try to do it. So because they, they got this – they got this – these kids in the class that – because I do know this, they have Roman Anthony and Jackson Ferris in that class, and I know those, those cats cost them some scholarship money. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, they did a really, really good, give Clem and, and laugh a lot of credit because they went and found two dudes that can absolutely throw the crap out of the baseball and are going to help them in meaningful SEC games this year. And it, it might not like they, I don't want to say they'll, they'll be the only two. I mean, look, the, like, it's, it's just like history points out the, the odds of them having four true freshmen that become gigantic contributors for them, probably pretty slim, but like, I mean, he's pitched Mason Nichols a decent bit. And that guy wasn't sure. terrific today by any stretch. But I do think it's significant that he went and threw again and he's been all right. So, like, there's a chance, you know, someone else comes in the mix and then you throw in the, the two transfer guys they got. What was the issue last year? They weren't deep enough on the mound, whether that be the bullpen, probably primarily the bullpen. But, you know, you lose a starter and gunner and they kind of struggled on the back end after that. And, you know, so far, it looks like they've addressed it. That's what's weird about doing this podcast on baseball in mid-March. But so far, so good. And the, the early returns beyond just the sheer raw numbers look pretty promising as well. Did you watch Washburn today? 
Yeah, I did. I watched pretty much his entire start, his final. No, actually, I did watch his entire start because he didn't go back in after Graham hit the tank today. So I thought that was the full Jack Washburn experience, and that was kind of the thing I wanted to get to next. So he threw five innings today. He only allowed one earned run. It was seven strikeouts and four walks. But it was like the – from the limited sample size we've seen so far, I thought it was both the good and the bad of Washburn. He he doesn't hit the strike zone quite often enough, I would say, for anyone's liking. I was about to say for my liking, but, like, that sounds weird. 46 strikes on 84 pitches today. But that straight walk thrown in that's preventing him from having, you know, two, three clean innings in a row is slightly concerning because I think in the SEC, in a very offensive SEC, that will come back to bite you more. But – he was also, when it was right at times, it was really right. I mean, he was throwing the breaking ball when he was behind in the count because he was almost locating that better than the fastball, which was kind of strange to see. But to uh, Keith Kessinger's credit, who was just a joy to listen to non-conference baseball on TV and is right. really good, was all over that from the start. He was throwing more breaking balls when he was behind in the count, which is kind of weirdly encapsulates his outing. Um, What was Vila like? He was 90 90- – 192, kind of hit 93 a couple of times. I mean, he stayed at 90 for a couple, I would say for most of the outing. Now, granted, you'll have to forgive me for the fourth and the fifth inning. I was watching it in 10 mile an hour standstill traffic in the car on my phone. So it's a little tougher, but it was 90s most of the time. I didn't notice a dip. So I have a question that has nothing to do with baseball. So how far do you live from like, or work from where you live? It's uh, it's less about distance and more about timing. So That's I, would what I was say, as the crow flies. So I live in Dallas, in downtown Dallas, and uh, not downtown, technically called uptown, a neighborhood called West Village. And I work at Irving, which is where a lot of the businesses are. No traffic. I can probably get there in twelve, thirteen minutes. It, t- but there's, it's weird. The way I go to work, there's no, there's little, what much less traffic in the morning barring a wreck, which I have a wreck take I might throw out here on the podcast later, depending on how weird we get. Okay. It takes me about 20-ish to get there, but I leave at five on the way home, and the way I come into the city, there's no, so in big cities, they mitigate the traffic by tollways that you have to pay to drive on and express lanes. There's really no tollway to get to where I need to go, so it's a solid 50 minutes to get home that takes me 16 probably with no traffic in the mornings. So that's what I was going to ask. Like, when the, the clock strikes five and it's like, yes, it's time to go, does the thought go through your mind? It's like, oh, my God, I have to go deal with traffic for 45 minutes now. It's like, that would bother me on, like, I'm not as excited to go home now because I got to go deal with that crap. Yes, so that's part of it. But honest to God, and I know everyone says this, you just get so used to it after a while. I'm like, whatever, it's fine. I'll pop in a podcast. Honestly, by that point, like, you know, if I've listened to, like, whatever, like, national podcast I want to listen to at work during the day, I'll just throw on Chase and Neil and it's fine. But you just – you really do. You just get used to it. It's really just part of, like, do do I love it by any stretch? Like, if I – if and when I eventually make my way back to Mississippi, will that be on the top of the list of things I'm glad I never have to do <laughs> again? Absolutely. But it's just kind of one of the things you deal with. So, you do get used to it. But it does suck, like, sitting in traffic. Because when I, like, drove when there was no traffic – like obviously like Mississippi pretty much my entire life before this, I was just a dude that couldn't sit still. Like if it took me longer to go the slow way, but I knew that I wasn't going to be surrounded by cars, I would take that way. But uh, that's not an option here. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your rec take now. Just, just go and spit that one out there. Okay, but we might as well. You know, we're just going all over the place here. If you cause a major wreck on a highway or an interstate in a major city, 
that screws up someone's commute and causes like a mile and a half long to standstill traffic? Because that's another thing about like living in a city like this. Sure. If you have a wreck, it takes so long for like the police department or whoever, the, the tow guy, whatever's needed to clean up a wreck. It takes so long for them to get there. You're talking like backup upon backup upon backup because there's so many people on the interstate. Like if you have a wreck on the two lane or I guess it, yeah, two lanes each way on 55 between like Oxford and Jackson, if they pull off to the side, other than dudes, like people going slow past them, it's really not that much of an issue. If you have a wreck out here and there's stuff in the middle of the, you know, five, six lane interstate, sure. everyone's backed up. So my take is if you cause a wreck that causes me on my morning commute to take an hour and a half versus the already 35 and you're at fault, you should be either be thrown in prison or have your license suspended for a year minimum. If you ruin that many people's day, including the poor person you hit, you should just be done. You should be t- the wheel should be taken away for a while. Like, come on, so no for that at this point. We have robots driving cars for us, but you can't get it together. I'll be completely honest. As someone, and this is kind of embarrassing, I don't like when I go to cities like that because I mean, I'll be honest. I've I've lived in small town Mississippi my entire life. I mean, I, I was in college for five years and lived in Oxford for three, so I lived in Oxford for eight years. But when I go to big cities, no man, like I Uber. Because I've never had to like deal with traffic and stuff like that, so uh, so that that's one of the reasons I Uber because I do not want to be the guy that has they caused the wreck and made you know like downtown Atlanta. Yes, so that I mean it's a it's a very good point. And honestly, when I'm a set when I get to the actual wreck, I'm usually so pissed off for how slow we've gone in that amount of time. <laughs> if I can immediately assess on the eyeball test that there's no serious injuries, I might give someone a stare. I might just give them like, really. Like, I'm going to hear about it from my boss because I'm here later, and it's because you don't know how to, you know, put on a turn signal. Like, what what are we doing here? I think it's too easy to get a driver's license in this country. I, I'm fine there. I, I, I've, there are some kids that I see, and, you know, driving around, it's like, I, th- there is no way this is for the good of human, uh, the, the human race, that this kid is able to drive on the road. That, that makes no sense. Do you remember um, your actual driver's test? Not the written part. Because mine, it, it was raining and the roads were tight. So I went to like a stop sign and I took a right turn and I hit one roundabout and the lady was like, yeah, you're good. Like, here's your license. Yeah. No more parents. No, like, uh, I, remember, I remember like I pulled out, took a right, got to the stop sign, took another right. And we we're going to pull back onto like major highway. And the lady at the stop sign was like, do you know what you need to do if uh, uh, a big 18-wheeler tries to turn in here to give it some room? And I was like, well, I could just pull out in front of it if I know they're turning. She was like, well, you could do that or you could just back up. Okay, you're good. T- pull back into the driving station or whatever. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Th- thanks, thanks, ma'am. I guess I'm good to drive now. And the ironic part is, uh, the, who among us, I, I know I'm not the only one, you may have been more studious, but the actual permit test where you had to go by the book, I failed it once. Because, you know, it's only I like did too. <laughs> and so if you miss the amount of questions, like you're just done. And so then you have to like, what, wait a month to go back. And so we have all these people failing the written part, but they when they get out on the roads, they don't know how to drive. That seems backwards. I think, you know, maybe beef up the actual driving park. I mean, maybe make it more like a NASCAR road course or something and make the written Yeah, yeah it's like, well, don't teach the kids how to parallel park. Yeah, like, that's useful, but that's not how people get hurt. Let's take the kids out to, you know, 
a big massive four lane at five that's when that's when the driving test should be given is like in Starkville or in Oxford at 5 15 p.m I'm fully on board with this like and I know it's never going to happen and without turning this just like full on <laughs> just whack job political but like whenever someone's like the government should just do this I'm like bro have you seen a DMV like do those people look fired up to give me a license? You have to get an appointment. No one is doing to You have to get an appointment to go to the DMV now in Mississippi. But that's a big step up because that's the way it is out yeah. here. But, you know, now you can yeah. just go in, you grab a number. They look disgusted that you would be there even trying to do such a thing. Like <laughs> Wasting their time. Yeah, and then you're just out of there. It's like they, they don't look motivated. So, oh, If you went to the DMV, like, when you were a student at Ole Miss, you might as well just plan for the day. You're going to be there a minute. Yep. Um, and that may or may not have been for uh, nefarious purposes and trying to get into bars on the square, but I won't incriminate anybody. <laughs> uh, we better talk about Jack Washburn before they turn us off. Yeah, so that was Driver's Ed Corner. Tune in next week when we uh, when we learn how to parallel park. <laughs> I don't even remember where we were, but I felt like much like the driving test is not the full hey. driving experience, we got the full Jack Washburn experience. That's what we so ended up I will, I will ask, do you, do you have a reason why they switched uh, Washburn and Elliot? I haven't heard or seen anything. Like, it, this originally Washburn was going to be Tuesday and Elliot was going to go Wednesday, and then they switched it. I just, do, do you ever hear a reason why they did that? Yes, I actually did. Funny you asked that because I actually wrote in the – I wrote a newsletter Monday night, and I, once they made that switch, I was like, oh, that tells me they might want to give Elliot an extra day of rest for the weekend, where in reality, I think Chase got this – Chase mentioned this – about something he'd heard but not reported before the game. And then I listened to them um, this morning afterward. Apparently, Washburn had a toe blister that they wanted to give an extra day to heal. I don't think it's anything yeah. major, obviously, by any stretch, but I heard it was him having some sort of blister on his foot. Oh, well, okay. No, so, so nothing I have to worry about. No, I don't think so. I mean, he looked fine. And hey, like, I'm going to ask you a really dumb question. Uh, was Shatnia back in there today? He was, and he was okay. a late scratch on Tuesday for those of that might have missed it. He, uh, so he was in the lineup, and it was apparently strictly illness-related. Um, again, I keep reverting back to Chase and Neil's morning show, but I, I literally just got off of the, uh, the commute that got me so angry about cars and had time to listen to it. Apparently, uh, it, it was illness-related, and I'll take Chase and Neil's word for it. Apparently, a stomach bug, all that's going around. Um, you know, if yeah. I was going to get a site survey of whether that's going around in Dallas, that might take me a while. But apparently that's going around Oxford right now. Uh, that is always funny, like, when you would be at Ole Miss. It's like, oh, the flu's going around and, like, half the student population has it. Um, but, yeah, so apparently the uh, meal or the uh, taste of the week is the stomach bug. So, um, but good, good he got back in. And because uh, that worried me yesterday, I'm not going to lie. I am interested to see – maybe Dunhurst might get one of these games. Friday is going to be the key for me. If he's not in there on Friday, we got there's a story there at some point. Yeah, I think so. And like I I'm curious like um like what it is in that sense because I agree with you. I mean, we said that I think on Sunday to where it's like hey, if he's not in the lineup on Friday, this might be slightly more serious, but as you I mean, you followed a, a bajillion football. I mean, how many wide receiver hamstring injuries have the as the right. active old Miss fan followed through the years? It's one of those deals that just kind of sometimes it can linger for, you know, five weeks. Sometimes it can be fine after two. You just never really know. And the weird part about it is the way it was described to me, the only way to test it is to kind of run on it. Um, and, you know, sometimes if you run on it and it's not well, well, like testing it out wasn't the greatest thing. 
I will give you, offer you this nugget. I believe this is Will Kallemeyer, who was the play-by-play guy today, said they mm-hmm. talked to Dunhurst before the game, and he ran around the bases full go and felt good. And, you know, whatever you want to make into that, whatever that means, okay. I will present you this. One, that makes me think he'll be in the lineup on Friday. Two, do you think there's a chance Mike thought about it today? But with the way Calvin Harris is performing, he's like, why would I do that before we go to Orlando and play a real team? Well, I mean, I guess my response to that would be, well, DH. Um, and because, and, I don't know. It's, I, I'll say this. I think Ole Miss sweeps this weekend. I do. But they're gonna ha- they're gonna have to earn it more than they did the first two weekends. Like I don't, there's gonna be a four to or not a four to three. There's gonna be an eight to six game mixed in there somewhere. Where Ole Miss is gonna have to play well and pitch well and defend well. So I just was kind of interested to see if you know they got him back and got some defensive work before they went down there. Yeah, no, that's a that's a totally fair point, and that's probably a good way to spin this before we end up doing a two hour podcast with three hours of drivers, I mean, three thirty minutes of drivers Ed mixed in. Let's kind of spin it forward to this weekend because this will be their first. Uh, we'll call it real test. I think that's a fair uh, assessment sure. to make as it pertains to the weekend rotation and kind of tying this back to Jack Washburn a little bit because you know whatever version of hot takes we throw out on this show, I've kind of been a little bullish on the fact that he ends up in the weekend rotation. And now that guy may end up being Hunter Elliott. And I don't know how you view that, but I'll throw it to you in this sense. Washburn today, I thought he was good. You know, that breaking ball, man, when he throws that over the plate and locates it as well as he does, it's really great. But a lot of times he overthrows with the fastball and he misses up. But like, you know, if he's like ends up, let's just say in mid-April, he's their Saturday guy. Well, you know, that two-out walk or those back-to-back two-out walks to, you know, that kind of – like, I guess the margin for error is less. Like, that can very much more easily turn into a two-run inning that decides a game in the SEC than it would against ULM where he's able to wiggle out of it. There's been a couple of times where he's gotten the first two guys out of an inning or let the leadoff guy on and then gotten a double play and then let a two-out guy on to where it could have been a clean inning to where he faced the minimum, but a walk or something else has kind of gotten in his way. And I'm just wondering if that margin for error comes back up to bite him a little bit if we're talking about him through the lens of a weekend starter, uh, if that makes sense. Well, it does. Um, here's what kind of like st- – like, because I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, look, Derek Dobbins has been fine on the first two Fridays of the year, right? Like, I don't think anybody would look at his outing and say, oh, Derek sucked. No, Derek, Derek's been good to fine. Um, Here's what I think Ole Miss has. I don't know if issue is the right word. I feel like they got a bunch of Saturday dudes. Is is that fair? Like yes, I feel like they have a fair. bunch That's of dudes that can go pitch on Saturday, and I'm not sure they got one dude that can pitch on Friday. And, like, honestly, from a sheer stuff standpoint – and, like, I, that's maybe not totally fair to say with Diamond. Like, the two, like, overarching, like, damn, like, the guys that have looked more shut down have been these two freshmen that have never pitched before. Right. Well, well okay, and Jack Doherty. Yeah, okay, that's where I was going. Here's where Ole Miss's issue with Jack Doherty is, though, right? Jack Doherty at the end of a game is really, really good, right? Like, He's he's good enough to be, I think, your Friday guy, Ron. He's not going to be a top of the like. He's going to be a you know the seventh or eighth best Friday guy in the league. So what Ole Miss has to say is, all right, is he more valuable as our Friday guy? If Derek Diamond's not able to get it done, like I said, Derek's been fine the first two weeks. Um, this is the week that we find out, though. I will say that. 
but it, Doherty would to me be, you know, the seventh or eighth best Friday guy in the league, but he's one of the best bullpen arms in the league. Is it worth it to take him out of the bullpen? I don't really think so. So that's where I'm getting into Derek Diamond. Ole Miss needs him to just compete on Friday night. Go out there and give him six innings and give up three runs. Go out there and give him six innings and give up four runs. Keep them in the game. And if he's able to do that, and I think we're going to be able to figure out a little bit more about him this week, then I think Ole Miss may be okay. Because, like I said, they got a bunch of Saturday dudes. I don't think they've got that, that shutdown Friday night guy on their roster right now. Um, so that's where it falls on Derek Diamond. Hey, just go out there and compete for six innings, man, and give the give this offense a shot. I uh, I think that's that's a fair point. And on top of that, I'm, we probably should have gotten to Doherty before this, but whatever. We did see him for this first extended action of the season last night. I know that wasn't by mistake. Uh, what you said? That was not by mistake. I was about to tell you were getting exactly what I was getting at. He throws three innings. Um, he threw 51 pitches. He struck out seven. He scattered three hits and really didn't really look like – no. I mean, look, ULM didn't exactly threaten on him very much. It's technically a save, so congrats to Jack Doherty because it lasted three innings. But, like, that dude in the ninth inning in a 10-2 game looked just as intense as he did when, you know, it was 5-2 or 6-2 or whatever it was when it came in. And that's not necessarily the point as much as it is. He threw 51 pitches. He went three innings, and in the two starts that he had last year, if just strictly going off memory, I do remember the second time he faced someone through the order, it wasn't quite as potent. But my counter to myself in saying that was, that looked like an even better version of Doherty. So I don't know how much you caught of that last night. The intensity and the way the fastball played and kind of his – you know, the FU part of it you have, we talk about you have to have sometimes on the Friday night in the SEC – I don't remember him pitching that intensely. And maybe that's just something that makes him a perfect bullpen guy and long relief guy or high leverage, however you want to use him. But I just – the first time I saw it in extended action last night, I was like, this is an even better version of last year. And as you point out, don't think that was by accident. Do you think that's something Mike has kind of got, you know, milling around in the back of his head right now? I don't, I'll say this. I don't think Mike's like, oh, I'm going to buy week two in the SEC, put this guy in the rotation. I do think Mike is smart enough to know, hey, if one of my three guys on the weekend don't work out, he is an option, and it would not be smart for the Ole Miss Rebels if I don't extend this guy at some point. Because let's be real, um, if, you're, if, if you're like, hey, Jack Doherty's my bullpen guy, well, why the hell is he pitching in a 10-2 game in the eighth and on, on a Tuesday night against UL Monroe? Why are you extending him to the ninth inning? If that's your bullpen guy, right, like if you're set in stone, hey, that guy's going to be my setup for Brandon. Okay. Why is he throwing in a 10-2 to game in the ninth inning on a Tuesday against Hugh Monroe for his third inning of work? So I just – I kind of think it would be uh, incorrect to say that, you know, Mike, Mike extended him because, hey, uh, he needed the work. Maybe he did. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm an idiot. I've been an idiot before, and I'll be an idiot again. But I just kind of think – No, I'm with some, you on this one. I, I just kind of think there were some signs. Like, hey, he's, hey this cat's going to be ready to start if it has to come to that. Is there anything to the fact – does it play into it at all that if this Maddox and Elliott thing becomes even more real? That Because, right, like on yeah. paper, if you go into this year and you're like, ah, you know, one of these dudes faltered, we'll throw Doherty in the rotation. Well, then you look at the bullpen and you're like, yeah. 
how do they get outs before Brandon Johnson again? And the fact that these two guys have been so good, do you think that changes the calculus at all? And then I guess you can parlay that into the fact that you think Hunter Elliott has a shot to kind of walk into this rotation at some point because, uh, you know, they got through 72 pitches over four innings, but I don't, I wouldn't doubt his ability to give you five on a Saturday or a Sunday without a shadow of a doubt. So, yeah. So that's, that's the thing with, with Elliot, right? It's like, yes, I think he has a chance to get into the rotation, but I don't think it's on Saturday with John Gaddis. I think John Gaddis is going to be good uh, for what they ask him to do. So the, the answer to that is, does he take Drew McDaniel's spot? Um, and I have convinced myself, as stupid as this sounds, I have convinced myself that Drew McDaniel is fine for Ole Miss on Sundays. He is the guy that can go give you four innings and give up four runs like you caught him, you know, maybe maybe a, a good bit more talented Sam Smith. Um, he's the guy that can just keep you in the game on, on Sundays. And, you know, I think that might be what's best for Ole Miss. So then it's like, well, is Hunter Elliott your Friday guy? And I don't really know if that's – I don't – I'll say this. I don't think you get the most value out of Hunter Elliott making him the Sunday starter. I'll say that. Um, so I'm interested to see how they play. So do, does he have a chance to get the rotation? Sure. But I'm not sure you can contrive the most value out of him by making him the Sunday starter. Which, conversely, is a great point. And to piggyback off of that, because it's a, it, you made the, a similar point, but kind of like the inverse on Sunday, which I thought was really smart about McDaniel not necessarily projecting well out of the bullpen. So it's like, yes, the best version of Ole Miss is McDaniel being good enough and them kind of having the flexibility to do whatever they want on Friday and Saturday with – that same mix of pitchers that we just outlined, right? I think Gaddis has done nothing so far. And granted, again, keep having to remind ourselves, the guy's only started one time, right? He had to come in relief right. this past game because of the rain out. But, like, so far, that looks like pretty pretty sturdy Saturday stuff. Like, the best version of Ole Miss, I think you would, like you said, would prefer to McDaniel to remain on Sunday. But it's weird juxtaposed to something like this. If I had said Hunter Elliott, Riley Maddox – Jack Washburn and Drew McDaniel, and you rank those three or those four in terms of how impressed you are with them. McDaniel's yeah, fourth in like a distant fourth, isn't he? Yeah, and, and he's not, not even that, necessarily that really been, matters. It's just a fascinating dynamic, right? And it's not even that he's necessarily been bad, right? Um, Drew's been fine, but it's just you know those other three guys, especially Maddox and and Elliott, have pitched really, really well. Um, but I just – here's another thing, too. You know, and so so I, I want to do this. When your response to something I say, if, like, you're out there listening and you're like – and this thought comes across your mind, you got to bring up another point, okay? So, Doug McKaysey doesn't count. It's hard to ask a freshman to start in this league, okay? I, as it, it, I get it. Doug was awesome as a freshman. Not normal. He's not human. You know, um, so there was another freshman that started behind Doug that was really good, and I don't think he was really good as a freshman, was he? No, he he borderline stunk and sort of got it together in the second half of the year in Gunnar Hoagland. Yeah, it's hard on them to start as freshmen because they wear down. You remember in um, 19 in the Super where you're like, can they get Gunnar a time and a half through the order? Yeah. In that game three, was, like, can they get can they get eleven outs from him? Which is weird to think about now. And, and anybody that watched Gunner pitch as a freshman, it's like, all right, he sucks right now. 
but he's going to be really good. And that's kind of what you see. You know, that's that's what I don't want to happen to Elliot or, or Maddox is like hit them have to go through the growing pains of, you know, something that they may not be ready for. Because, frankly, Gunner probably wasn't ready for that. But they just – I mean, at that point in the time, they did not have many other options to start. I mean, th- their rotation um, – was Etheridge on Friday and whatever else they had tried just was not working out. I remember they tried Zach Phillips on Saturday some. Um, and Gunner was pretty much the Sunday guy the entire year. But, you know, it, it was kind of telling that year that, you know, they weren't able to replace him because he was struggling mightily at times. Because they had already replaced Phillips. Because that yeah, was a bad start. I mean, I like Zach Phillips. He's a nice kid. I read a story on him being the dugout guy. And he actually gave some Ole Miss some pretty invaluable work late in the year on the midweek sure. and in some spots. But he had his first three starts that went about as bad as possible. And each time he'd be like, yeah, I just thought it was mostly tough luck. I'm like, well, well that, the third time in a row. They're, they're, they're at what point like, – does luck mean they hit the shit out of me? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. Tulane hit that ball a long way. Um, so, anyway, but, but no, it's a good point, and I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. And spinning that into this weekend, I think they're going to get tested. But there's two things I want to cover real quick before we hit a little UCF. Some offensive sure. numbers, because I love doing this, because it's just so funny to go up to their offensive statistics page. Jacob Gonzalez, 35 plate appearances this year. He's walked 12 times. Has, um, has, he, has he gotten his average above 250? You know, it's a big deal. He's got to hit above 250. He is at, where is he? 273. So 273. All right. All right. Gonzo added 50 points this, this midweek to his batting average. He was 222 after the weekend with a 950 OPS. Hey, Wes Burton pitched today. That's, uh, what'd you say? Wes Burton pitched today. He did, and Jackson Kimbrell. So the two guys we were talking about, like, you know, they were – look, they would have gotten more innings if Ole Miss hadn't exploded for the 10-run thing. And we've talked about that ad nauseum so far on the show of, like, you know, they need these more innings, right? Like, yeah, I think I heard Chase say this morning, I'm not totally convinced Mike wasn't running in the outs on Tuesday night to make sure it was not innings. Oh, absolutely. He's done that before. He can sit there and say he hasn't. But, like, when you're putting cats that I've never heard of in the game in the sixth against, like, College of Charleston, I mean, you're trying to play. Well, I mean, they – yeah, I mean, they're running the bases like a bat out of hell. Like, it, 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 there's a compelling case to be made. But, yeah, I mean – but that's also kind of speaks to – speaks to – because as weird as that game got on Tuesday night, it was still a 6-2 game in the sixth, and he went to 100 – he went to Raleigh Maddox and – I mean, he went to Parento first, but that guy walked two kids and was not long for this world before he went to Doherty. But, like, I think that speaks to – I don't think that's insignificant, and we keep outlining that. But, you know, I think because of the Hunter Elliott's, the Roddy Maddox's, and whatever you want to make of Parento and Nichols and whomever else you want to throw into that mix, the known commodities that you had in the pen last year, I think it's safe to say at this point they're on the peripheral and have taken a little bit of a back seat, which, you know, if – Wes Burton and Jackson Kimbrell are your, you know, third reserve safety valves to use a non-baseball term. That's not a terrible place to be. Could that change? Of course. We hadn't seen conference play yet, but, like, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing um, by any stretch. Like, if the new guys are coming in and kind of trumping some of the old arm jet in the bullpen, that probably means you got better. And you, when you check back last year, they weren't great in the pen before Trailer Broadway last year. So, you know, it's kind of nice they probably got better. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm really happy they're developing some depth because what they asked Broadway to do um, was not going to be sustainable again for another year. I mean, they they had to ride that guy until his arm fell off, and and God bless him, credit to him, he got it done. But yeah, you you had to you had to develop some depth, and and to their credit, they have. And the the thing is, here's what here's what's going to be the tell. Um, Derek Diamond's got to figure out a way to to get them some depth into the game so that this bullpen depth can be the bullpen depth. You know, if, if Diamond's not good on Fridays, then, you know, well, is your bullpen depth really bullpen depth when you're having to go to the bullpen in the fifth inning on Friday? Because I don't really think it is at that point. So it, it's kind of contingent on Diamond being the guy that, you know, he was brought here to be. And to his credit, the first two starts went really well, really, really well. Um, let's see what he happens this weekend because that's that's going to be the interesting one. I think UCF is a re- pretty good team. I think they're a regional team. You got to go on the road. You got to play well. You got to pitch well. You got to keep swinging it. So um, I think this weekend is going to tell us a lot about you know what Derek Diamond can give this team and if he's good enough to be your Friday guy and get you, you know, semi-deep into games and you can let this bullpen depth cover, you know, mistakes, then Ole Miss has really, really got something. Kevin Graham, 1,200 OPS, four home runs, 17 RBIs, and might I remind you, he started the season 0 for 8 in the first two games. He did not have a Sunday game. You think he might can hit left-handed pitching? I think he will probably be okay in that regard, I believe. Did the kid he hit the nuke off of today? Wasn't that left-handed pitching went opposite field? Maybe that was right-hander. I don't remember. Um, but I, I think he will probably be okay. He uh, That is 17 RBIs and four home runs for uh, Mr. Graham. If you want to do the calendar week thing, I believe in the last eight days he has like 12. Yeah. So if, I made you, if I made you guess right now, over under twenty and a half home runs for Graham and Elka. Combined or obviously each. Yeah, each. I'll go nineteen and a half. Nineteen and a half. I'm going over for Tim. Are you? Because He's got I don't know. Four like, in two weeks. Yes, he does, and so does Kevin Graham. And I guess that's almost underscores your point. I was about to say, it feels like Elko's going to get walked more and pitched away from more, but I guess maybe you can't afford to at the same time. I'll go cautiously under, but, like, if you have it to me at, like, 16 or 17, I'd, I'd probably go over. But maybe I'm – When Elko hope- hit last year, Elko hit 16 and he lost a month and a half. Damn. Okay, I'm going to go – you convinced me. I'll just go over <laughs> for Elko. Because at that point, right, I mean, before he hit the home run, that grand slam of his own today, he had five hits on the year, and three of them were over the fence. I think he's still got the approach that he had when he came back with HCL. It's like, I got to hit it out because I can't run, which I kind of love. Maybe that's some pretty sick reverse psychology. Maybe they tell him before the game, like, remember, let's put that brace on. You do have a torn ACL, even though it's not torn. <laughs> you hit nukes. Please continue to hit the ball over the fence. We don't care if you strike out, but – just some absurd offensive numbers there. The last thing we really need to get to, because I think this is an interesting point, Calvin Harris, multiple hit games back-to-back days. He is now batting a cool 6'11 on the year if you want to go by average. Look, the guy's got 23 plate appearances this year, 11 hits and five walks. 
as I kind of hinted at on Sunday, again, just consider assuming something's not really wrong with Hayden Dunhurst, that guy's going to be the everyday catcher. But like, are we sure that it's not as simple as this sounds weird, but you platoon like an Alderman or a Leatherwood and Calvin Harris is not your DH because that guy's – I wrote about this on Tuesday or Monday night and I felt really stupid about it. I was like, let's say – I think I used Burford as an example, but Harris is a better one. Let's say he hits it like a 2018 Keenan level it's where it's like, hey, you have to keep this guy in. Like this is just not an option to sit him. Are we sure that can't happen? Because – He's doing it in a lot of different ways, too. He's yet to hit the ball over the fence, but he's getting on so, base and he's not striking out. I remember – I don't know if it was last Sunday or when we were talking about the Leatherwood thing or whatever, and we're like, yeah, at some point one of these guys is, you know, going to fall off and not going to hit, and, you know, your answer will be easy. It's like, well, Calvin Harris decided that all the other guys can hit pretty well, so he's just going to go hit 600. So he's going to make sure that he's the guy that gets into the lineup. You know, I wasn't expecting a guy that's going to hit 600. Yeah, at this point, you can't take him out of the lineup. Um, I'm not sure what he's done against lefties. I'd be interested to see that. But for the most part, I mean, the swing plays against lefties. It's not, you know, dead pull or anything. Um, no, he's got to be in the lineup every day, regardless, you know, Dunhurst availability. So, kind of feels like, yeah, you're right. Um, if you're having to – and now here's the interesting part, right? Um if if he's in the if all right, let's put Dunhurst back at catcher. Um, Elko's at first, Chats at second, uh, Gonzo's at short. Um, so I guess he well, all right, where am I missing? So Dunhurst goes to first, Elko or excuse me, Dunhurst catches, Elko's at first, Chats is at second, Gonzalez is at short. Okay, Bench is at third, McCants is in center, Graham's in left. Well, I guess, you know, what's interesting is, is Calvin Harris your corner outfielder? Because if you're going to DH one of, of uh, Leatherwood or Alderman, I probably think that they think that uh, Harris might be a better corner outfielder. I, kn- I know they continuously mention that he can do different things like play first and corner outfield. So I, I'm interested to see if they kind of work him in there at some point. I would like to just see it, and maybe you do see it when it comes back, but I agree. And then, like, you know – I mean, look at the message board on Friday when Mike put out the lineup and Leatherwood wasn't in there. And, look, I've been firmly somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but mostly serious on the whole Leatherwood needs to play everyday island. But if you've got, you know, him hitting at that – Harris hitting at that level and then Alderman doing what you think he's going to do, the guy just might be the greatest platoon guy in the country, and that being Leatherwood. I don't know. Like, I I, I can't justify it at that point. And then, you know, Ben Van Cleve, for as much shit as he gets, and I I saw this on – I, I tweeted this the other night, just kind of poking fun at some. I know people that listen to the podcast pretty regularly, some of my niche listeners, I'll call it. Uh, he hit a huge fly ball to the track, and I was like, damn, he's just teasing people at this point for the first career home run. I need him to get one out. Yeah, I, I would like to see that for, for our guy, Ben Van Cleve. But for a guy, in all seriousness, that has not gotten off to a bad start by any stretch, you could call it a good stretch, is the fact that he can't really play a position – and the fact yeah. that he's kind of doing a less efficient version of what Harris is doing right now, kind of, does that make him the odd man out almost to, you know, no fault of his own, if that makes sense? So, you know, I don't know if he can play a position or not. Obviously, I don't, I don't really know what that sounds like. I don't think he's been in the field at Ole Miss. Is that accurate? I'm, I, I would feel pretty confident. I don't know that for a fact. I'm not even actually positive how to look that up. But I'm almost 100% positive he has yet to be in the field. I mean, look – respect to all units out there what what do you think he could play you know what i mean i mean it's it's first base or nothing right? yeah, I saw, yeah i was gonna say i saw my boy kale play first 
Yeah, um, exactly. But like that guy, I mean, he's not he's not shagging five balls. No. Um, so I, you know, yes, that that hurts him because I mean, just the flexibility. He has to be your DH. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, Calvin Harris has forced his way into the lineup. So um, there's kind of one spot left, and you know, it it, it kind of feels. It kind of feels like, you know, um, bubble teams, like when it when it, we're talking, you know, it's funny, it's March, um, you know, when and, and a team that wasn't going to make the tournament wins the SEC or ACC or Big 12, well, somebody's bubble just got popped. Well, when Calvin Harris forces his way into the lineup, well, somebody else's bubble just got popped. Um, and it's not going to be an everyday player until Calvin Harris, you know, plays himself out of the lineup or somebody else plays himself out of the lineup. Um, so, you know, it just kind of is what it is. It's going to be interesting because, you know, right now, like I said, I think Harris has forced his way on the field every day. Um, kind of leaves one spot. And I will say this, Mike, usually um, when it's, you know, lesser opponents, kind of gives these first two weekends to say, hey, got to, you know, get some guys some reps and, and, and all that. But when it's this third weekend and you've got this quality opponent, it's usually, hey, it's go time. we got to put the best nine on the field. Um, and I, I suspect that you'll see that this weekend. I think you're right as well. And, like, it's it's funny. We keep, like, it's part of the non-conference, right? Because this team will have rough patches and they will have work. Sure. And when they come out, we'll discuss them. And, like, I feel like we, we keep, like, I like we're projecting the most optimal scenario possible because of just how fast this team has started. But just as I, we continue to do this, like imagine that's best case scenario and all these guys continue to hit. I think the odds that all of them continue to hit it, you know, close to this clip are pretty slim to none, but just say that's the case. And you're in a series against an Arkansas, a team that you think will compete for the West and Ben Van Cleve and Hayden Leatherwood are your two bats off the bench. That's better than what pretty much anyone else can offer, is it not? Yeah. Um, State wound up losing seven to one to Southern, by the way. They scored. Yeah. No. Yeah. Two, three, three runs and two games against Scrambling and Southern Miss. That's that's not great. Um, but you know, it's it's a deep lineup, man, and. It kind of sucks for some of these kids because, like, if you're Ben Van Cleve or you're Hayden Leatherwood, you're playing at some other SEC schools, man. You're everyday guys. But just the, you know, the depth and how well they've recruited and how well they've developed, it's just there's only nine spots. So um, what sucks is, like, you can't really pinch hit for the, like, seven guys that are locked in. You know, who, who are you going to pinch hit for? Elko, Graham, Gonzalez? Like, you know, so – it's kind of either you're going to get on those in those two spots. You're not really going to play unless you're going to pinch it for one of those, you know, other two spots. It's going to be fascinating to see how Mike manage it and see who kind of eventually falls off a little bit and how all this shakes out. That might be the other than kind of what they do with the rotation. Cause I think you can kind of paint, you can kind of get an idea of what they're going to do as a stat, like on the bullpen, what they do in those two scenarios, the kind of how he manages those last two lineup spots and who plays and who doesn't versus the rotation is going to be fascinating. Before we get out of here, let's project to the weekend a little bit. Ole Miss is going to get tested this weekend um, against the John Rice Plumley list. Uh, thoughts and prayers to the season. Um, UCF Knights. The Knights are 7-1 and one on the year. Ole Miss going on the road for the first time. I know this sounds overrated, but I do think it's part of college baseball. I'm part of why Mike does this, and most programs do this once a year. You know, you can't underrate the aspect of these young kids going on the road for the first time and going through what pitching on the road means and kind of the road trip and the routine that comes with that. So 
you know, with that kind of intangible stuff aside, Ole Miss is going to get tested. UCF is seven and one. They have a pretty veteran pitching staff. They took two of three from Georgia Southern last weekend. I don't know much about the uh, the Eagles of Georgia Southern, but they uh, UCF lost the middle game three to two. They beat the brakes off of Siena. I know you watch a lot of college baseball. How much Siena have you heard this year? None. Okay, um, I don't think they're going to make I, the field of 64 surely off these results. These were 12-2, 16-2, 18-0. So before we get started on our UCF preview, I would just like to take this time thank the NCAA for saving college baseball by not yeah, letting John Rice Plumley play. <laughs> what is that? Who does that thank, help? Thank them. <laughs> I think it's, it, it's, it's, the, it's a – organization that's going powerless that just needs to flex when they can right like uh i've seen this kid's piano clips hell no like scott likes cold play we're not going to put him in like who does that actually I feel like i feel like if you're the ncaa here and you, you if the opposing coaches like you know clement and bianco and lafferty want the kid to play you should probably let the kid play like if the ncaa called you know Five or Clement or Laugh, and they're like, "Hey, do y'all think this kid should be eligible?" They'd all be like, "Hell yeah!" And that, it just it, that that one made me legit mad because the kid got punished for being a good teammate. It's it's the NCAA sucks. It's absurd, and like he'll get to play football no problem next year because it's the get out of jail free one time transfer card. But because it's the same semester, like I just yes, but. Breaking news next up on this podcast, the NCAA does not make sense. (laughs) So, Litchfield on Friday night, um, did he pitch last year when the Golden Knights beat number one Ole Miss? People forget that uh, Ole Miss was number one last year, and and UCF rolled into town and beat Doug Nikhazy and then won uh, the last game of a doubleheader on Saturday and took away Ole Miss's number one rank. People do forget that happened. That is correct, and they took two or three. So their Friday night starter is a kid named David Litchfield. He's a redshirt senior. He's been around the program for a while. He was actually their closer last year, which I actually think kind of speaks to what he actually is, you know, redshirt senior, whatever you might want to think of that stereotype-wise. Um, as a From a stuff standpoint, like the kid's got good stuff. He threw two shutout innings that closed out the game in their Saturday win against Ole Miss. I think he allowed one run run on a hit. I believe that was a home run. I don't know who he was up against. And then Ole Miss actually kind of got after him a little bit on the Sunday game. He only lasted two and a third and um, and gave up three runs, two earned on four hits. I, To be honest, if you ask me to remember what happened in that game, I literally have no idea. That's way too Tim Elko hit a walk-off single. That's exactly right. That is what it was. So that yes, and Ole Miss. So that was the Ole Miss was up three to three to nothing and three to two for most of the game. UCF takes lead and Ole Miss scored three in the night to win that one six to five. That's right. The Ole Miss was on the verge of getting swept. Uh, no, that was the middle game. Um, I don't know how it's listed. It was actually a doubleheader on Saturday because they didn't play on Sunday, and then Ole Miss won the middle game. And then lost the, the the game three that uh, Diamond pitched. Sure, but like um, in retrospect, they had to score three. Yeah, in the night. sure. But yeah, they had to score three in the night. Yeah, that kid got a save, and then Ole Miss banged him up the next time. But that was, you know, he's pitching a second. Josh Mallett pitched that night. Uh, I bet he threw strikes. No, he walked the guy. Uh, zero point zero innings and walked the guy. 
That's unfortunate to hear. But he you know, let's still, this year. He, that was the night after he pitched two innings, and so he's been right. a Friday guy, and he's been damn good for the first two starts. I think he went six innings of shutout baseball, two hits against the Siena, whatever their mascot is, and then seven innings of one run, one run ball over a four hits against uh, Georgia Southern, and you know, make of that what you will. But Georgia Southern was competitive in all three games against UCF, and so that's a kid that's a redshirt senior. I would imagine kind of the heart and soul of that pitching staff, given the number of things he's done throughout his career. Ole Miss is going to face their first kind of bona fide grizzled ace of the season, I think is what you would make of against going up against Mr. Yeah. Litchfield on Friday night. Yeah, I think, I think Litchfield would be a back end uh, Friday night guy in the league, maybe a front top, top of the league Saturday guy. Um, so I think that's a, that's a matchup for Ole Miss that, you know, you got to get to test yourself. I don't think they've seen, you know, dominant arms or anything yet. So, um, I think, like I said, I think he's a back-end Friday night guy, top-end Saturday guy, uh, which can tell you a lot about yourself. And, and, you know, if Ole Miss is able to kind of get after him, then it's like, oh, well, this offense is really something. So, the seat weekend's definitely one that's kind of going to tell you where they stand in the, in the landscape of college baseball. I know they're ranked number two right now. Um, but, you know, we'll know a lot more about this team after this weekend. I think you're right, but I think it's going to go the other way because I think Ole Miss will actually get after Litchfield because, I mean, look, that kid, I think he'll get probably, you know, seven batters to the first time in the order and been like, I got to get through these dudes three times, Again. presumably, which is going to be – I think Ole Miss will score runs on him. What I'm curious is, is UCF's hit the ball over the fence pretty well and they're active on the base pass. So they've hit 11 home runs. They've stolen 22 bases. It won't be this weekend. Yeah, no, but one, they, I, I would feel pretty confident about Ole Miss being able to stifle their running game. But, you know, the things we talked about with the rotation, particularly as it pertains to Derek Diamond and Drew McDaniel, they won't be able to make mistakes and get away with them. I think UCF is a good enough offense based on what I've seen on paper. Again, I would admittedly, I have not watched a UCF game yet this year. But based on what they've done against opponents so far this year, like if they if Diamond and McDaniel in particular, and I guess you could throw Gaddis into this as well. Like if they make mistakes, I think UCF is the first good enough offense to expose them for it. And that's actually kind of what I'm fascinated by. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. Um, not going to be able to just trot, you know, a 92 mile an hour fastball down the middle every time and, and get away with it because your velocity is up there. No, that's a really good point. Um, so going to be interesting. I mean, they came to Ole Miss last year and were able to hit the baseball against. You know, I mean, they beat Doug McKenzie now. Um, Low-scoring game, but they did win the game. Um, Doug actually pitched on Friday night then, um, and Gunner had pitched game two. Um, so, you know, it's uh, going to be interesting because it's, it's, it's going to tell you a lot about Derek Diamond, man. It, uh, if he's able to go out there and compete and give you, you know, a solid outing on, on Friday night, well, hey, maybe he's got this thing locked down. And, and if he does, man, that makes Ole Miss a really, really, really good team. Um, if he doesn't, it's like, well, and that's going to be the interesting part, right, is is what if he doesn't pitch well? Well, you can't blow it up. You can't, like, say, all right, you had one bad start, you're done. Um, you're going to run him out there against Oral Roberts, and he's probably going to kick Oral Roberts in the teeth. So, uh, just kind of interesting. If you're an Ole Miss fan, you really, really want to see Derek Diamond pitch well on Friday night. And to play out your scenario, if that does happen and then Mike actually does, like, make a move, that would actually be fairly telling about what he – thinks about both the someone else like younger guy wise versus diamond I mean I would actually even think that like McDaniel would be the more interesting aspect right if Ole Miss say they take two 
and then they lose the Sunday game because McDaniel gets his teeth in, kicked in. If someone else starts that Sunday game against Oral Roberts, that would actually be kind of telling of Bianca's thinking because I think you're right. Like, I don't think there's a world that Diamond, no matter really what happens, does not get an Oral Roberts start. I just think that right. he, he has too much capital, and rightfully so, right? But, like, I'll, I'll be interested on, like, the McDaniel end where, like, if he struggles, does Mike go ahead and just try to see if he can get this right before conference play, you know? Yeah, no, because, man, if, if Washburn keeps pitching well, and you, you, I'll say this. I do not think there's a world where we get to April and Jack Washburn is the midweek pitcher. Is that fair? Yes. I'm interested to see what his role is. I don't think Jack Washburn was brought to the University of Mississippi to pitch out of the bullpen. So, we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with him, but – I would be shocked if he is their midweek pitcher. And I don't know. There may be a role in the bullpen, but I don't think he was recruited here with the purpose of having him in the bullpen. Sneaky decent weekend in college baseball this weekend. The Spiders Classic, could I interest you in a Texas-Tennessee on Friday night at 8 o'clock? Maybe Tennessee won't beat somebody 27-1. to I would feel confident they would not beat Texas 27-1. to But, hey, I will uh, old takes exposed myself. That would be kind of funny. Yeah, it would be kind of funny. Then we get Miami and Florida this uh, weekend. That would be kind of interesting. Florida kind of stinks, by the way. Yeah, they do, and it's, it seems like it's been more of an offensive issue. Every time I feel like I look yeah. up, I haven't been able to watch a ton of, like, Florida yet, where it's like, no, it's five to three. Like, Yeah. yeah they, that kind of stink. Um, um, the, state goes to Tulane. They do, and that's going to be fascinating, too, after a uh, drumming against – Southern Miss uh, on this Wednesday night as we record this. Another one that's kind of interesting, I believe we're getting a weekend series between Georgia and Georgia Tech. That doesn't happen often. Oh, that's fun. So Two pretty decent teams. Georgia's been good this year. Yeah, we've got some good baseball this weekend. If you want to get a little West Coast flavor, Sac State, who actually swept Long Beach State last weekend, they host Houston Baptist, but it's actually weird just looking at D1's top 25 scores tracker. Sac State swept uh, D, uh, sw- swept Long Beach State. I can't talk today. And then jumped them in the ranking. Sac State is 23. So, apparently, they got a decent – Sac pick. State, 23rd. How about that? How about that? I don't know what their mascot is. They're Unless they're the snakes, I'm not going to be able to guess from their logo. Hey, can you scroll down to SEC? What's Auburn doing this weekend? Auburn is – let me see – um, we're at the Big Ten. Maryland, Michigan. I don't know what Michigan's like this year. It's weird to see Maryland. Oh, so they're starting conference play. Uh, yeah, that's right. They start the Big Ten starts at a week early or something. I don't. I know there's a reason they do that. Auburn is Rhode Island. Ah, so not much. We get Clemson, South Carolina. You know they do that series kind of like I wish Ole Miss and Southern would. They uh, play at both parks, and then they play at, uh, like, a minor league standard. But the thing is, like, Southern and, – and I don't know how far Clemson and South Carolina are, but, like, Hattiesburg and Oxford are not close. So, are they going to play at three different ballparks on three different days throughout the weekend? Yes. Yes, they will play at Clemson, South Carolina, and then a minor league ballpark is how they've always done it. I actually like that a lot. LSU is in the Shriners against Oklahoma, so that's a tournament. So, they'll get a couple of different needs. I don't LSU's know – LSU's going to play somebody. This is strictly just based off of past history. Arkansas hosts Selah. Yeah. Arkansas kind of stunk. Uh, yeah, I mean, they lost the game to Stanford um, and should have lost to ULL. Um, lost the game to Eastern Illinois, I think. 
So, yeah, they've not been great. I mean, they'll figure it out, but they're not great on the mound. They don't have a dude. Like last year, they had uh, losing Paulette hurt them a lot, which breaking news yeah. was your Friday night guy hurts. Yeah, like they had Wicklander last year, and they had the best bullpen arm that I've ever seen. Um, so you know they lost both both of them. It's and it's it's going to be hard. So um, you know they're a top ten team, top eight team, but yeah, I'm, I'm, they haven't really played anybody yet either. So I'm going to be kind of interested to see. I wonder who they play. I guess I'm, I'm not really interested in, but I, I would hope or not hope, but I would think that they would want to play somebody next weekend. And they can at least challenge them because, man, um, outside of one game against Stanford, they haven't really seen anybody that's going to be you know, up to the level of SEC pitching. I can get that for you right now. Uh, as, a, as I look that up, Tim Corbin is so bored with non-conference play that he has scheduled a vacation to Hawaii, and they're going to play four games out there this weekend. How about that? Well, that's kind of sweet. That so, is uh, cool. You get, uh, you get to go to Vanderbilt be- for free and go to Hawaii. You would be incorrect in that assessment on Arkansas um, for not, – not incorrect, but just like you guessing. They are playing a four-gamer against Illinois-Chicago next weekend, starting on Thursday. So they have played Stanford. And they're going to play who on the first weekend of SEC play? Oh, Kentucky. Wonder. That'll help. Oh, my. Oh. Arkansas gets Kentucky and Missouri to start SEC play before they – Well, well – as, as an old Miss fan, I'm not going to complain about it. Easy, uh, easy E schedules this year. I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's fair. Maybe Kentucky, like, Missouri, and the South Carolina. The, okay, so, but the, in a, like a slightly serious note, like they host State on April 1st to start that series. Uh-huh. There is a chance we know nothing about Arkansas until April the 1st, is it not? Because <laughs> they play Kentucky and Missouri. With- no, there's a chance we know something. If they lose one of those series. That is true. We will not know if they're good until that point. So Yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Well, I appreciate the insight, my man. We will talk to you um, on Sunday. And uh, it's almost like how this works. I was about to say we were going to learn more about all these teams this weekend. But, you know, two weekends for a conference play. It's kind of how this is supposed to go, right? That's right. That's right. Sounds good, my man. All right. I'll you later. And we will uh, catch you on Sunday. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I really appreciate you making us a part of your day. We'll be back at it tomorrow with a little change of pace and Mailbag Friday, the people's holiday upon us again. Again, get your questions in. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, I think I'm supposed to tell you to like and subscribe, rate, and review. I don't even really know what that means or what that does at this point in the podcasting uh, journey here, but uh, if you want to do that, sure. Have a great uh, end of your week. We'll be back on Friday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.